You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Yeah, so today, Harpy Eagle. I know, and yeah. man, this is going to be awesome. I have to admit, I, I was... What can they teach us? In this scientific journal, it was describing blow by blow, like, I don't know, a Stephen King, or I don't read, I don't read... Uh... Many species are in crisis and need your help. Estimates that there are less than 50,000 individuals. I know, I know. And, and it makes so... me think of... Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris, and today, drumroll, please, I want to introduce Dr. Atkin Mio. Yay! Oh, Chris, stop it. Thank you. Yay. No, 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 no. Seriously, you, I mean, you do not yep, have yep. to, call, yes, you do not have to call me Dr. Atkin. All right. All right. You, you can call me Dr. Angie. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, whatever, Dr. <laughs> Angie. Um, so I'm joined today by the new Dr. Angie who um, rose from the ashes like the phoenix. We were just uh, talking about that a little bit. Yeah, I did. I survived. PhD. I survived. Yep. Yeah, no, we're really proud of you, Ange. Dr. Angie, excuse me. And <laughs> <laughs> this is our first episode after whale sharks that you have finished and defended and did an I, awesome job. Thank you. Thank you. It yeah. wasn't always pretty, but it, it, it's done and it's a huge accomplishment and yeah. I can finally breathe again. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. I know. Now the fun really begins because expectations for you are super high. <laughs> well, I, I think our listeners will be able to tell from this podcast on, it's going to be pure genius that I'm spewing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. Right. It does all of a sudden. Yeah. You just survived the marathon, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, it's been really great. You've done really awesome. I just want to say uh, to the listeners out there and to Angie, for you women that are holding down jobs and having children and raising a family, like bravo, bravo. It just, from my perspective as, you know, being Angie's previous advisor, but watching Angie, you know, through two pregnancies, do all this studying, all of this research, Raising her two children. I mean, bravo to John too for all the support I, he's given you. But. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. from bu- from busting out of my lab coat when it didn't fit around yeah. my big yeah. <laughs> around my <laughs> big belly. Hilarious. Yeah, uh, but no, it, but that's and I appreciate that, Chris. But it it really does. It takes a village. I mean, people ask me yeah. all the time, like, how do you do it all? And the answer is, I don't. I yeah. I have a lot of people helping me. My my wonderful husband John. He. He ironed my shirt for goodness sakes the morning of yeah. my big defense and, yeah. and all of that from neighbors helping to my dear friends to family to, you know, just a lot of people letting me yeah. either turn, maybe turn my homework in late or bring a kid to class. 
right? Right. Yep. Yep. So yep. I remember that. <laughs> but it's just it's yeah, it's getting it's surrounding yourself with the right people. And obviously I found that at the university. And so yeah, so all you women out there, yeah. you can do it. It's awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. uh, it, it it definitely can be done and it, and then you get to and you know, I always say as far as education goes, it's something that nobody can take it away from you. Right. No, like no, your house no. could be taken away from you, your car, your job, no. but nobody no. can take away your education. And so right. upward and onward, man, here we go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's what makes this podcast so exciting. Cause it's just, we're so education focused and knowledge, you know, you can't mm-hmm. take away knowledge. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So today Harpy Eagle. I know. And yeah. man, this is going to be awesome. I have to admit, I, I, I was physically and mentally exhausted this week. And so I was a little dreading or a little lazy in prepping for the Harpy Eagle. And then to pardon the pun, I dig, I, I dug my talons right in and, uh, and was just so excited to do this bird of prey because it is very majestic. It's the, uh, the Mm -hmm. Harpy Eagle is one of the largest raptors in the world. And, Mm -hmm. and I just, basically started looking at pictures in it and my spirits perked right up and I was ready to dive right in and learn everything I could yeah. about the Harpy Eagle so I can share it with everybody. And yeah, I know, I know. it I is know. For two, uh, two geeks, you know, now we're official here. Dr. Angie is officially <laughs> a, a geek now. Like super yes. Geek. Yeah. We were so geeky about animals. It, it is really fun. Like, you know, we said in the last pod to have to learn something and force ourselves, you know, in our busy lives, but yeah, it's they're huge. Live in the rainforest, and our first bird of prey, right? Yes, so, yes. Mm-hmm. Which is exciting. I've been I've been uh, yanking your chain to do this bird for a long time. So right, I'm, yeah, I'm, you have, I'm, you have, <laughs> yeah. And you want to stay tuned because at the end, I'm going to tell you just how powerful their talons are. It's pretty pretty impressive. Yes. No. Stay tuned for that. It was one of the things that uh, might give me nightmares for a while. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Like, look, look up uh, all the time because if that thing was bearing down on me, I'd probably die of a heart attack. So, yeah, like, largest eagle in the world. Angie, what really strikes me about these birds, and people need to really look at them, you know, look at our show notes or, you know, just, just look at harpy eagle on the internet. Yes, please Google a picture of a harpy eagle first and foremost. We're going to do a job describing it, but I can already mm. hypothesize that we're not going to do it anywhere <laughs> near yeah. the justice. It's so cool looking. It's yeah. gorgeous. The one thing, the one thing that struck me the most is their unique headdress of feathers. Yes. And it really made me think of, you know, Native Americans in North America that not the, you know, thousand feather headdress, mm-hmm. but just, you know, some of the warriors that the Braves that that had just a few feathers sticking up. That's kind of how I would describe it. Yes. You know, yeah. They have like three, the yeah. two to three feathers sticking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just really. I was like, wow, that's the one thing that really stuck out uh, with me with them. Their heads are gray and their neck, so going down. And then it's almost like a an overcoat, you know, dark across the chest and over the shoulders and wings. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it, it, it's almost like a cape is yeah. how I describe the, the dark. And then they have this just really white mottled chest or, or, or white feathers of the chest and underneath the wings. Yeah, and that, that's kind yeah, there's of, a little gray yeah. interspersed in there too, but little flecks of yeah, gray. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So that's probably the the best description I could give, you know, without 
people uh, not knowing what they look like. Sure. And I think the other thing too, that we should probably jump right into the three or four feathers sticking up from the back of a head, their heads, almost like a native American headdress or something that just mm-hmm. are really striking. But other than that, their size is what knocked my socks off. <laughs> yeah. They're huge. They're huge. Uh, yeah. I found a, a photo more of a historic photo, probably from the fifties or sixties, uh, and lining it up next to a human with the wingspan. Um, unfortunately it was a bird that had been hunted and we'll, we're going to touch mm-hmm. on, we're going to touch on some of that, of course, towards the end of the podcast, but the size was just in the wingspan for me. It was just incredible. It is. It is huge. It's up over seven feet or 2.2 meters. Like they're up there. The, that's a basketball player, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Shaq. I don't even. Yeah, Shaquille O'Neal or whatever. Like, yeah, he his. Yeah, like huge. The, they're only bested, I think, by the the condors, right? Mm-hmm. So the condors have like almost a ten feet wingspan, mm-hmm. you know, almost three meters. Where the as far as the eagles, and then what's also crazy, Angie, is they have these really strong beaks that's hooked, but their talons mm-hmm. can be up to four inches long. Or as long as a grizzly bear. I know. Which, which is, I, the one time, the one animal, and I don't think I've mentioned this in one of the pods yet, that I was nervous at the zoo, you know, when I was following Ashley around, was the grizzly bear because I was three feet on the other side of a, a really, you know, strong enclosure. Mm-hmm. But I looked at those, ta- the, their claws, and I was like, oh my God, they were huge. Yes. So four inches. That is big. That, that is, is big. long. That is very yeah. long. I found one of these dated photos too had a, a large man and the ta- mm. the claw was wrapped around the guy's arm just to, sh- I think to oh, show wow. the, the, the size of it. And it was, it's yeah, very, right. very impressive. And that's why I think obviously with most people, when they work with these birds of prey, they'll, they're going to have a big, a big leather glove on. <laughs> yes. Very thick, leather very, glove. very thick leather glove. Yes. And, um, and, yeah. are, and are very well trained too, of course, to be able to right. uh, handle these birds. Yeah. And I've got a really good, cool photo and I'll try to remember to put this on the show notes of the harpy Eagle claw. You know, it's almost like twice the size of the golden Eagle, which is still very mm-hmm. impressive. And then the, it's like, the bald eagle is, yeah, again, a little bit a third or half the size of the harpy eagle talon. So just really incredible animals that, that live their habitat central and South America and, and actually portions of mm-hmm. Southern Mexico still. So sure. Yeah. They have a pretty large range and they can, they can weigh up to 16 pounds or seven kilograms, right. which is for a bird. Is a lot yeah. a flying bird? <laughs> that's yeah. that's like a cocker spaniel yeah. or something, or more, more than that even. Yeah, and, I mean, okay. So, how big was your turkey that you had? You know, <laughs> right. the last Thanksgiving, yeah. you know, in the states, it, it, you know, it was a few months ago. But a twenty pound turkey is huge, huge, and that bird's mm-hmm. not going to fly, right? They just raise them Mm-mm. as meat. But you know, almost that big, flying around, darting through trees, being very athletic. And the harpy eagles flying around these dense jungles of the Amazon, if you can picture it, or at least that helps me mm-hmm. uh, when I'm when I'm describing these things. But unlike other raptors of a similar, slightly smaller size, the harpies have a little bit smaller wingspan and a longer tail. Mm-hmm. 
re- researchers think that this is probably an adaption to help them like zoom, zoom, mm-hmm. zoom, like maneuver through dense rainforest right. jungles, tropical rainforest. So just really cool. And, and they're not really known to fly long distances. Mm-hmm. They prefer going from tree to tree while they search for their prey. Right. But just still, I, I need to see one of these guys in actions soaring through the air because I think it would just be breathtaking. Right, right. You say sorry because I, it made me think when you were talking about them flying about the California condor episode, which again, if you haven't mm-hmm. listened to that one, that's a really great one. They, they, they're called soarers, right? Cause they just fly forever. Mm-hmm. And they have mm-hmm. these huge wings. They're like an airplane, right? They just they just fly in the thermals, <laughs> yeah. you know, and just go. Whereas these are darting in and out, and you know, absolutely, yeah, yeah. quick movement, sudden bursts, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. just because they just they don't have the they don't have the open land to do that. That's not what they were adapted right, for. Right, right, right. Now in Central America and Mexico, so they're really on the Gulf side. And not so much on the Pacific side. So the few that remain mm-hmm. in like Southern Veracruz down through Mexico, that's kind of where they're isolated. Now their populations are diminishing in Central America and South America. In South America, mm-hmm. very large range, uh, Colombia, Brazil, small pockets, Argentina. So that's kind of Venezuela. Where yeah. Yeah. So kind of there mm-hmm. where you, you know, I, it just makes me think of the Amazon river dolphin and, and how you've traveled the world. Like, <laughs> I know you didn't, you didn't see one of these, but geez, I'm so jealous. I didn't, and I, but I have been. I've been to Manaus, which is about as Amazonian as it can get. Mm-hmm. That's uh, in, um, in northern Brazil. Right. But no, we did not see one. Uh, but it makes sense because we. I was more on the river, doing river tours, and uh, I only did one jungle trek, and it, we didn't. We weren't out that long, so the chance of me seeing one would probably be pretty, pretty small. Um, but right, no, it's right. now I have, I have a new life goal. Cause man, that would just, that would, that would be one for the books. Right. Uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm not that I'm a, a wannabe bird nerd, yep. uh, birder type person, but that's one that I would put on my, on my book for sure. That's would be amazing. I, I, but I think they'd be hard to see though, too. Cause they're pretty like, yeah. They're high up in the trees and pretty camouflage and they don't soar really. They don't fly right. around. So right. you'd be pretty lucky um, to see when one. I mean, I would, yeah, we need to like hook up with a researcher that knows, you know, their, their habitat and their range. And, and, and as you had mentioned with their populations in decline and their habitat being fragmented and therefore their populations being fragmented, fragmented, there's not large numbers of them. Mm-mm. Like there's not colonies Mm-mm. of them and there's, Mm-mm. you know, they're solitary birds for the most part. So yeah, I think to see them in the wild is, is probably a little bit more challenging than other species. I know. I know. And the one thing, you know, talking to you and then Allison, when we did the rhino relocation, how you and John went to Zambia, the one thing I learned is when you're worried about like the cost of a, tr- of a, a trip, just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, I mean, don't, oh, yeah. you know, don't miss car payments or house payments, but just do it. Sure. You know, the memories. Sure. It is, it really is, especially to, and for us, it was nice because it was, we, it was before we had kids, before we had a house. And so we could, we could, we, it was easier for us to get away. And mm-hmm. I, I, I always, for me, it was a model to, after I got done with my, my, uh, grad, undergraduate studies to just travel for a couple of years. I would just make money, wait tables and then travel. And cause mm-hmm. I, I knew I had my degree. So I had that as a backup of like, okay, I, you know, I yeah. have that. I, I, 
I'm good. I'm, I'm good to go. I can definitely get a job yeah. when I need to. That's a more serious job. That and yeah, yeah but it yeah. was really funny. It was hard. It was it was hard to convince my very um, straight as an arrow husband <laughs> to spend that money. <laughs> but it was cute. It was yeah. It was very yeah. cute. The minute we got off the plane, he was like, "I can already tell this is the best money I've ever spent." Right. And right. Then, right. And it, it makes me think too about this, the Harpy Eagle. Maybe we should message, uh, Suzanne Smith, uh, who did mm-hmm. the Amazon River Dolphin. Yes. A you know, great interview that you did with her. And I know she said on her excursions in the Amazon, they had, uh, I think she said like an eight year old from Germany or something like that, if I remember right. So mm-hmm. she did, she mm-hmm. did, cause you asked her, could I bring my kids? And she's like, oh yeah, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause now I'm in that phase of life, the good late thirties yeah. where, uh, where, wherever I go next, I need to bring my kiddos. And yeah, so yeah. whether we do like a, a volunteer vacation or something like that, uh, but I want to get them out there and get, get them showing some of these parts of the world that may not be there when they're older. I know. Oh. I know. Well, New Zealand is in your top one to come. So <laughs> I'll show you some birds here, some Kiwis. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Okay. So the harpy eagle prefers lowlands. So less than 1600 feet or 500 meters. I mean, they don't, they can be found higher, but they don't really like to, to hunt or live up there, I guess. And as Angie was saying, with all the really deforestation is the big one. And we'll kind of hammer that a little bit later, but you know, they're classified as near threatened uh, populations in decline. Mm-hmm. You know, just reading a lot of stuff on rainforest being cleared for ranching, you know, specifically cattle, uh, the slash and burn of going in and, and cutting down the forest, burning the stumps, which again, dumping tons of carbon in the atmosphere. So that's helping global warming or, or hurting really the, the, mm-hmm. the climate. And then, you know, producing soybeans, cattle feed, other things. So we'll kind of talk about that towards the end. You know, just tough stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, really quick, the their their history, their evolution. The scientific name is Harpia harpija. So I think, yeah, yeah I know. I practice. Easy one. I practice now. I like sit there and practice <laughs> in the mirror. Yeah, I did. I did. I'm not kidding. This morning, I was like reading this over and over. Now they, yeah, they belong to the family Acupitridae. So yeah, Ooh. I got that. I have no, that just blew past me. I don't even know that speaking a different language. Acupitridae is hawks, eagles, kites, harriers, and old world vultures. So that's the okay. family. Uh, they, mm-hmm. you know, looking at bird evolution again, very exciting stuff. Like it just, I get, you know, like that's my nerdy moment. Looking yeah, at because the they're of flying. Animal. Yeah. They're basically remnants of like flying dinosaurs, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just. It's amazing. So some of the stuff I was reading in harpy eagles and eagles in general, that a lot of these eagles kind of develop or evolved on islands. Oh, interesting. So they didn't have a lot of, yeah, so they didn't have a lot of competition, right? So they were kind of isolated a little bit, not a lot of competition from other predators. So that allowed them to get bigger. Ah. And they were able to specialize. So yeah, that was it was interesting to read some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, the oldest known bird... We covered that the condor episode. So they, they found a bird-like animal that it was about 130 million years ago. So they have found the fossil with feathers, the, the ancient dinosaur, right? Type mm-hmm. bird. Yes. That uh, was a long time ago, right? Now, harpy eagle specifically, their, their two nearest relatives is in Papua New Guinea or the Papuan eagle. 
Okay. So really, other side of Earth. Yeah, that's know? pretty far. That's about as far as it can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting that the, the genetic studies that they've done, they are w- one of the closest. And then the crested eagle, which is a, a much smaller eagle found in Central and South America. Okay, so not so they have a, not closely related to our bald eagle here. No, no, mm-hmm. they're they're kind of. I mean, they are in the the genetic study I looked at. The, mm-hmm. They are in there. Just these were the two closest relatives. Cool. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah. Now, da da da. Roll, Doctor Angie. I'm gonna test your knowledge. Oh man, I'm still in recovery mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the softball questions I gave you. I know. <clears throat> yeah. What's a horse called? Yeah, a horse. <laughs> no. In Spanish, um, caballo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, your analytical chemistry. I'm surprised. I never mind. I, I'm not surprised that you were very, uh, very good speaker. But do you know of the largest raptor ever in history? Hmm. Uh, Have you ever heard of it? Probably. No, you haven't. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Stump the chump. Stump the chump. Hmm. A raptor. I I could do bird maybe, but uh, yeah, as far as yeah. specifically a raptor. Uh, no, I don't. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the the Haas eagle, okay, was forty percent larger than the harpy eagle. Holy macaroni! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, the wingspan of ten feet. Wow. Okay. So again, the, I I think kind of like you were saying, the harpy eagle's wingspan is big. It's huge. It is big. Yeah. But still a little bit smaller than say a condor because they're zipping or long. Mm-hmm. The the Haas eagle. Weighed twice that of a harpy eagle, so almost thirty-one pounds or forty-one wow. kilograms. Now, here's my big question: Where, Angie? Where were the the Hass eagle? Hmm. Well, on an island to get that big. Um, mm, New Zealand. Oh my God! Yay! You're so smart. See, yeah, Doctor yes. Angie. What, what? Dr. Angie in the house. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Dr. Angie. And just, he did not tell me that, guys. I could just tell by the, I really, I could just tell by the tone. And you're, you're all in New Zealand lately since you live there. So (laughs) I could, I could sniff out your New Zealand pride coming through, you know? Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm learning to be a Kiwi. So they fed on a lot of flightless birds and there was a bird called a moa, moa here and it was like an emu mm-hmm. and oh right yeah yeah so they were that that was their prey and, and they're big like okay. the moa are big like emus are big you know not mm-hmm. as big as an ostrich oh, yeah. but but no. pretty big yeah now they went extinct about 700 years ago because when humans or the maori showed up they're the the native new zealanders when they mm-hmm. showed up, they quickly went extinct because competition with them. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. So good old humans, you know, and, and you know, 700 years ago. Good old humans. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Well, Chris, uh, or Dr. Chris, I have yeah. one for you. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> put you yeah. on the spot. And I will already, I will already give you a clue. The answer is not New Zealand or the United oh, States. Oh, so come on. That's your right. clue. <laughs> right, Google real quick. Um, no, no Google. You uh, gotta, no you gotta look as, as silly as me on here. Okay. Um, in pop culture, can you think of a bird in a movie mm-hmm. that reminds you of a harpy eagle? And my hint is the movie is 
most appropriate probably for um, like Rourke because Rourke's what seven eight. Yeah, yeah so just turned seven. Mm-hmm. Just turned seven. Just turned seven. So right. for that age and then older. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know why, but Falco from the Never Ending Story. <laughs> that, that's not a bird. That's a dog, right? That's like uh, a flying dog or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. Um, uh, how about it's a series? There's lots of them, and yeah. there's a wizard. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, the Harry mm-hmm. Potter thing, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yep. The bird. Yeah, the, the uh, rising phoenix, 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 because we were talking about phoenix, right? Yes, yeah. Fox Dumbledore's phoenix was actually ins- oh wow mm-hmm, okay. was inspired by the harpy eagle. Some of the looks, yeah, they're mm-hmm. charismatic, right? They're just mm-hmm. they're, they're charismatic. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the mo- and the movements and all of that and the colors. So right. yeah, I I thought that was a really fun fact that I learned. So. Okay, and, okay. And so not Falco, right? Or it was Falco, right? No. Yeah, never ending story. <laughs> that blind dog. Yeah. Now have you started <laughs> really re- dating ourselves? <laughs> I know, right? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, birds are just all in pop culture. And it's interesting, Angie, you know, like you said, living here in New Zealand, you know, we're in such a crisis with our native species and, and the government's working really hard to eradicate invasive species. And they've actually established sanctuaries on islands around hmm. New Zealand. And some of the birds there are being rehabilitated and released there. And they just, uh, the big thing's rats and stoats and weasels that are just, uh, really devastating. Sorry to interrupt, but what, this might be a, this might not be a Dr. Angie question, but what is it? <laughs> what, what is this? A stoat? It, it must have lived. Oh. Come on. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I told you I'm tired. <laughs> but I think. What species are we covering? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a mustelid, yes. Okay, it's, okay. It's like okay. the, the, the black footed ferret. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't so know if you're using some New Zealand slang or something. Um, no, 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 no. So they were introduced to New ah, Zealand. Okay. So these invasive species, but yeah. So with the harpy eagle, like, why care? It's you know, I know why birds are important here, but in the Amazon, like, who cares? oh, you mean why care about them? Besides that, they are uh, were inspired, awesome. helped to help inspire yeah. <laughs> characters yeah. from the movies of Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest reasons to care about them, besides they're amazing to look at, they're just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful birds of prey, but mm-hmm. they're an apex predator in the rainforest. So mm-hmm. they they help keep a lot of populations in check. So, for example, one of the harpy prey animals is going to be a capuchin monkey. Mm-hmm. And if you... If the harpy wasn't there to prey on the capuchin monkey, capuchin monkeys prey then on uh, bird eggs often. Mm, And a lot of these bird eggs are from more endangered species of birds. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, tens of thousands of years doing this. And so if they're gone, who's going to do it? And then what happens when it's not done? So Right, right. Yeah, the food webs. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just we're finding... Instead of, you know, a, a, a food tree, I guess, or a hierarchy, I, I like the idea of a food web where it's so intricate and so complex that everything's interconnected. Mm-hmm. And it's not just one. You know, mm-hmm. you take out, you take out a major species like that. It's going to have cascading effects. Oh, sure. Know, up, up and down. Yeah. It's, it's really. It's really tragic, you know, on, on what's happening out there with a little bit. Well, and speaking of capuchin monkeys being one of their prey animals, 
What did you come across for some of the additional items that these birds of prey, which they're called because they, they eat meat, they're carnivores. Right. What else did you find about their nutrition? Right. So they do eat other animals. It's sloths, which, you know, I think, I'm, I know. That just doesn't, I think going back to that. That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> but again, if, you know, the sloths need to be held in check, right? Other ones. And, and you said sloths can move pretty quick when they want to, right? <laughs> yes, they can. But I have to inter, uh, interject really quick with my favorite sloth story. Uh, when I worked at, yeah. when I worked at the zoo, I didn't work directly with sloths, but my good friend Amy did. And we, one time I went over there to visit and got to, and got to feed one of the sloths and, and it loved grapes. And so mm-hmm. one of my favorite things in life is to feed a sloth a grape. It's similar to feeding a red footed tortoise a grape because they mm-hmm. move so mm-hmm. slow that it's, it's, it's like those slow motion videos now you can do on your iPhone, right. iPhone with a kid running where they just right. open, but right. this is in real time, <laughs> in real time. And right, they just, right. they just, they open their mouth so slow and like you just, they just take the grape and it, and this whole process takes like, yeah, 45 seconds or a minute or something. And then, but, right. but you're just mesmerized because they look like they're moving in slow motion and they just close their eyes and slowly chew the grape and, and, <laughs> and like grape euphoria. And it's just, Oh man, it's so so charming. Uh, if you, I just I love sloths. We're gonna we'll cover we'll cover sloths for sure. Maybe I'll get Amy to then, get Amy to even do some talks about them. But yeah, so yeah. but yeah, so when I heard, when I read that about this them yeah, praying and then on here sloths, comes the harpy eagle swooping out of the tree. I know. Bam. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully they, it reminds me of your. Hopefully they don't know what hit it right. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, and I it made me think of Zootopia again. When you're a parent, you watch all these movies. And uh, there's a really funny scene in there, the the DMV, and they're all sloths. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's so true. If you're older than 18, you can relate to that joke. I mean, that is – yes. I mean, it's, incre- it's incredible. Yeah, 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 yeah. If any of our listeners work, you know, work at the DMV, we love yes. you. I, I can only imagine what you have to put up with. Well, and but, I think yeah. they're coming up with better systems. Actually, the one my local one here is the fastest one I've ever been to. I think they're devising better – a better way to move people <laughs> the, to hurt us from one section to another. Cause I must admit, I've been in and out of there pretty quickly in the past couple of years. Very, very pleased with that. <laughs> no longer sloths. Yeah, 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 yeah. But okay. So harpy eagles, other than sloths, they, they, uh, some monkeys, like Angie said, capuchins and the others, uh, opossums or possums mm-hmm. and sometimes other birds and reptiles. So they're, they, they are, they're, they're the apex predator. They are top dog down there. You know, for birds. But yeah, they'll take down pretty much any medium size or small animals, including reptiles, other birds, rodents, other carnivores. There has been uh, reports of them taking down anteaters, potentially, mm. uh, potentially domestic pigs, peccaries, uh, deer, right. uh, and even it's been, it was reported in 1990 by a researcher that they saw an attack of a howler monkey. Which was estimated to be like six and a half kilograms in mass itself. So right, yeah, right, right. How, and for those of you that aren't familiar with uh, howler monkeys, are definitely much much larger than a capuchin monkey. And I read, you know, that the females are larger, so that you have that sexual dimorphism, and the the females catch larger prey because they're bigger mm-hmm. and they can. So so the women or the women, the mm-hmm. the female harpy eagles yeah. are the top dogs. I would say women are top dogs here too, <laughs> but uh, they, yeah. <laughs> Doc, Dr. Absolutely, Angie is absolutely. Top dog now. Well, yeah. 
You, you better believe it. No, but it was funny. And it was funny, Chris, too, when I was looking at a lot of uh, the research on harpy eagles, a lot, mm-hmm. there's not a ton and we'll get to that in behavior because uh, they're, they're learning more about them and they're always trying to study them, but they're a little mysterious mm-hmm. just because they live so high up in the trees and there's a lot of unknowns, but I, I came across one paper and it was studying behavior of like foraging behavior, hunting behavior, pre, uh, prey capture. And the, the whole paper was pretty much uh, just, it's uh, from the journal of Orn- ornithology from 2011. And it was so cool. It was, and it was describing one or two instances of a harpy preying on a monkey. And in this scientific journal, it was describing blow by blow, like, I don't know, a Stephen King, or I don't read, I don't read uh, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. thriller or scary novels because yeah, yeah, I yeah. just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep at night, but it, it, it really, it's like really describing it like, like step by step, blow by blow, how it, where it came from out of nowhere and what the monkey was doing and then what happened to the monkey oh, wow. and the vocalizations the monkey was making once he was struck. And <laughs> it was just really, um, it was really, it was really intense, but, but I was just like, God, I love science because this got published because there's so little known about them that this, they wanted this historic documentation of, of how uh, basically the Eagle primate interactions in Central America. But yeah, I mean, you, you look at their hunting strategy, the, the, their vision's really incredible. I, mm-hmm. I read that their, their vision, they can see something as small as like two and a half centimeters or one inch from like two football fields away. Wow. Wow. Well, Chris, they, interestingly enough, they have amazing vision during the day, but at night it's not so good, which makes sense mm-hmm. because they, they hunt during the day. They are not nocturnal. Right. So they, right. they're more, and they're like us, like they need their good eyes, their eagle eyes during the day, but they don't need them at night. Right, right. Yeah. And they, they're really fast. Like you were saying, they fly up to 50 miles per hour or 80 wow. kilometers per hour. Yikes. Yeah. They're really, they're really, really crazy. Um, so a, a little bit about their life cycles. They live what up to 35, 25 to 35 years. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about the females are larger, body lengths about 40 inches or 100 centimeters, and then they have that seven foot wingspan. Um, Angie talked about their weights, you know, they're, they're pretty heavy, 16 to 20 pounds, you know, which is a huge turkey. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Now, I looked up male and females are called eagles. Okay. Guess on the babies. What do you think the babies are called? Eaglets? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I didn't see that. I got fledglings, but yeah, eaglet sounds right. Okay. Yeah, I saw fledglings. Now, a group of eagles is Ooh. called. Ooh, I'm gonna... You you should be going too soon in your cap and gown ceremony. Yeah, no <laughs> convocation. A graduation, convocation, commence, commence, a commencement. Yeah, a party. Yeah, it's a wow. convocation. Convocation. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Like a convocation of eagles or an airy is the other word that people use. Cool. Um, yeah, their bills are incredibly the the hooked bills they use you mean like beak? a butcher's yeah, beak, you mean beak bill. Okay. Bill beak, yeah. They use okay. it to it's like a butcher's tool. <laughs> Oh jeez! Well, I mean, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, the the thing I'm looking at here, I'll put the circle this, of life. It is, it is, and I have a really cool graphic that I'm definitely going to put in the show notes. But uh, on there it says, you know, it, they use it like a butcher. They sever the victim's spinal cord for a quick kill, which is good. So hopefully it's fast, mm-hmm. and they strip the meat from the bone. Now this was cool. the 
those feathers that we talked about at the beginning, right? Those, those headdress, the headdress feathers, ones, the, mm-hmm. the crest that helps them focus sound into their ears. So cool. That cool? See, yeah, it's so all it about form and function. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It actually has yeah. a purpose. Yeah. And they have really good hearing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Really good mm-hmm. hearing. And, you know, their wings are really powerful. So imagine, you know, picking up prey so they can do that. And then Angie, one yes. thing I, I, I was asking, okay, I asked myself, you know, why do birds molt? Right? Why do they lose their feathers? Uh, all I know is I like when they molt, when I can, fi- uh, my, my, my boys and I, we always like to collect feathers. So, but that's mm-hmm. a really good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like why do they, why do they replace them or fall out? And you know, why does it? Well, I know ha- when, well, the juveniles are growing up, they'll change colors. So right. some, I, I just always assumed that that was to give them the plumage that they needed when they were adults. It does. But there's does. other and reasons. That- yeah, so as they get bigger, you know, they need bigger feathers for flight and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So birds molt because they do get damaged. The feathers get damaged. And the keratin, which is the same thing in pangolin scales, the same thing in rhino horn, you know, so we can collect chicken feathers. We don't need to go get harpy eagle feathers and grind them up and send them overseas and say, here's your medicine because it's nothing but your fingernails. It's anyways. So the keratin gets weak, the feathers get damaged, and so there's no mechanism to, re- you know, for that feather to re- to to repair itself. So they have to grow new ones to replace them. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. Now the molting process in ducks is like two weeks. In other birds like parrots, it can take a few years. Um, okay, and when you say molting process, are they replacing every single feather on their body? Almost all of them, yeah, almost all of their feathers. Okay, so cool. The they do molt at different stages, like you said. So the hatchling, the juveniles, getting that first, second, and third plumage, mm-hmm. and but once adults, they replace them about once a year. Okay. Now the molting process is really interesting. So the first thing is they molt symmetrically, right? Which makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Right. It would it would make sense for all of the feathers on the left wing to fall off because then they couldn't fly. No, right? they couldn't fly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they lose a couple on the left. They lose a couple on the right. And it's really interesting how that how that happens. So as the feather ages, the quill gets a little bit loose, and as that happens, that's the, it that's the bottom part. Right. The quill's that the bottom part. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And the new feather starts to grow, and then so that older feather will fall out. You, you described, you really got me thinking about how these animals live, uh, you know, these birds and especially that, that hunt graphic novel <laughs> that, that you're going <laughs> to, yeah. I'll send you the paper. It was like, it was pretty, it was yeah, entertaining. I mean, I do want to read it. It was entertaining. I, I mm-hmm. still, mm-hmm. I, I go back to the black footed ferret. Like that is a horror story. Tap it on the shoulder. So you roll over and then bite your neck <laughs> as you wake up. <laughs> Well, it's actually a little kind of the black-footed ferret because I think the tap, it makes them roll over so they can bite the appropriate part of the neck to I make know, it quick. But still, but you open your eyes <laughs> and that's the last thing you see. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the black-footed ferret, it's so cute. It looks like, it looks like it has a little mask, yeah. a mask on its face, like a superhero mask. So yeah, you, you wake up to this bandit and then that, that's it. So yeah, yeah. And there, but anyways, um, with their behavior, there's still not a ton known about how they live or what they do in the wild. 
people are studying it, but it, because they live in such dense forests and um, so high up in the trees, it can be hard to understand everything about them. But one thing we do know is that these eagles build huge nests, mm-hmm. of course, right? And make that makes sense. And they use a lot, they use fresh or greener twigs and sticks. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, researchers are hypothesized that that's interestingly enough to help fumigate the nest against insects and parasites. And it now, keeps it cool, cooler for the young, yeah, which is so yeah. gen- super genius, yeah. right? Now I have to ask you, do they build bunk beds like orangutans? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. But I counter with, can you guess how big a harpy eagle's nest is? Oh, geez. I, now I have seen bald eagle nests and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the one, the one that comes to mind, if anybody ever visits Florida, go to, to, uh, Kennedy Space Center. It is, incredible to visit and they have an, a pair of eagles that have been there forever that have this huge nest that is like the size of uh i don't know dinner table so okay. harp eagle mm-hmm. uh, but still this fresh and so they i don't know they build it every season i don't know I, if i had to guess angie a truck tire size i don't know <laughs> uh cl- bigger bigger there it's uh monster uh, truck good. size <laughs> yeah there you go uh are you kidding well, me about no, it's a, well, I don't, you're, you would know more about monster trucks than me. It's, it's six yeah. and a half feet in diameter. So like oh, seven don't, feet in diameter. Don't lie. I, I know you. you got- <laughs> I was a good old, I was a good old country girl. I, uh, you are. I, I had, I had, I, I've, I've been in a few trucks in my lifetime. Let's put it that way. Um, we'll end right there. Uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, oh yeah. I didn't catch that one. Let's back up mud- the bus. Yeah. Yeah. No mud running. You know, okay, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Mm-hmm, <laughs> no, that's crazy. But, Seven feet. Jeez. Mm-hmm, but the really thing that this is what really struck me is the depth is, one meter or three feet. Wow. So wow. that's like deep. a little human. That's my son walking right. around. I mean, that's right. deep. That's deep. That is. So, mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and since we're speaking of nests, uh, the harpy eagles are usually found in pairs that they form monogamously and that they mate mm. for life. Similar to mm, bald eagles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And researchers think that this nest building ritual that they do where they'll each partake in bringing branches to the nest to freshen it up each season. I don't think they always build a new one each season. A lot of times they just will freshen it up right before breeding, but they'll chirp to each other and they think that this, this activity helps pres- preserve the bond. It's kind of, it's like a ritual, like, Oh, we're cleaning this house together. And then, cause we're going to have another baby or another, or, you know, I, and it's so, crazy. And this stuff's so cool because Eagle cam is like, People mm-hmm. watch is one of the most watched online web cameras in the world. Is people Heck yeah, watching yeah. these eagles? Now, now they're bald eagles, but still. who wouldn't? Yeah, right. And so, and that's and I and when I was looking at, it, I love, of course, I love courtship behavior mm-hmm. and talking about this. And but interestingly enough, at least with a harpy eagle, there's not a ton known about their courtship behavior. Beef, uh, they'll do some, what's called like beak kisses, which are cute mm. where they rub, mm. rub, rub beaks together a little mm. bit. And the hybrid eagles are monogamous for life, but they only mm-hmm. breed Chris once every two to three years. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah so thing. Mm, not even close. No. Wow. And, and then, and Chris, you'll be happy to know that the harpy eagle is 
Definitely not a deadbeat dad by any of stretch of the not. imagination. No, we don't exist. Deadbeat dad. Yes, this this no. week, it's me and my two boys while my wife's at a conference down near Wellington. I know. Kudos to you all week long. You, <laughs> that is, you're, you're doing it, man. And, yeah, and, no, and, and, and I'm you're a surviving. Eagle dad. Yeah, barely. Okay. Barely. Quick, quick question. What'd y'all eat for dinner last night? <laughs> Hey, okay. So I am the chef. I, I, I will admit I am, uh, since we've been here, I cook every night. So it's not just, and it's been good. Like there's been some really good recipes that I've been finding online. Oh, you have to send them to me. Last night by request was pizza. So. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Well, we'll so push that was it. by request we'll, by the three-year-old. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. But okay. no, of course you're 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 an amazing father and uh, yeah. and you have well, amazing you. kids. Yes, and yeah. so so they'll lay one to two eggs, but usually only one is viable. And mm-hmm. the, both parents will incubate them for fifty-six days. The female does lay on the eggs a little bit more, while the male will do some hunting. Mm-hmm. And the juveniles stay with the parents at least until ten months. But mm-hmm. I was cracking up because I read the fact that they don't reach mature. Juveniles don't reach maturity until five to six years old, but yeah. they'll also return back to their parents to, to beg sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so I just got never ending for, I know, yeah. I know my poor mom. Right. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. but, but really it's really important for their conservation story that they do with the two to three years between reproductive right. attempts, they have one of the longest breeding periods of any raptor. And, and then Chris, on top of that, then the, they don't reach sexual maturity until they're four to five years. So right, right. The, and the turnover is really slow. Yeah. That's what, you know, maybe there's a, I mean, obviously there probably is, you know, a, a link, but you know, we talked about like just last week, whale sharks, and their long intervals. Uh, yeah. And so all these species in crisis, the ones that are well, just and, hard to replace. Yeah, and and it's amazing. I mean, they're putting a lot of energy into their um, into their chicks and fledglings and mm-hmm. juveniles, which is probably teaching them how to hunt, and mm-hmm. which is really critical. But because of that, if if a young one gets lost, it's very it's very hard to mm-hmm. make another. It takes a long time to make another one, so they just don't mm-hmm. have the turnover and. I think that's why researchers are really starting to focus on them too. Like they want to, they want to catch it before it's too late. And right. you, had, you know, you have mentioned that they're near threatened. Uh, they estimate the IUCN, which is the International Union of Conservation Nature, yes. says that estimates <laughs> estimates that there are less than fifty thousand individuals. I know, I know. And, and it makes so, me think of. It, it's hard. Like I thinking of spatial awareness right so mm-hmm. i've been to quite a few obviously football games and in sports stadiums so when i think of fifty thousand, you know yeah at uf at university of florida football game we'd have 80 90 000. so you cut that in half that crowd in half or half the stadium that's the entire population of a species right well that- let alone one that covers central and south america yeah, which are, it's, it's huge. a huge huge continent and so, and, and then that, and then the populations get fragmented and it's hard mm-hmm. for them to find each other if the forest is cut down in between them. Right. So, and, and honestly, some, several populations are listed as endangered mm-hmm. because, because there's just so few individuals. Yeah. 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 And I, yeah, I was reading in the, in the Amazon rainforest that the heart eagle populations have decreased up to 45%. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah. definitely. And yeah. so, but researchers are, 
are looking into this and a lot of international groups and of course the countries um surround the the countries that these beautiful birds live in mm-hmm. but they think that one of the biggest problem of course is that being an apex predator they're very sensitive to human disturbances including mm-hmm. and uh, and they and they're also one of the first species to disappear when people colonize or start mm-hmm. building in the area mm-hmm. yeah it's just like so, that the the hast eagle here from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, Chris, yeah. exactly like that. And so the, and there's, you know, with the logging, deforestation. And so it's, it's hard to, to figure out like what exactly is a good number to keep these guys going. No, and it, not only the other pressure, but, you know, talking about the deforestation and, and we've briefly talked about some of this. The, Right now, the rainforest around Earth, you know, we'll, we'll focus on the Amazon, but around the planet, every minute, we lose about 20 football fields worth of rainforest every minute. It's so sad. So yeah. since we've been talking or in this podcast, you know what, that's 120 football fields that are gone, gone forever. And, and, and species are wiped out that we haven't even yeah. found yet that right. we haven't, that we don't even know about, yeah. but not only animals, plants. Yeah. I mean, the plant to cure cancer could, is, yeah. could be wiped out before we even find it. And I said 120, that was wrong. That it's, it's 1200. Football fields. Oh, and the podcast. I didn't want to hear that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't like that update. I know. So oh, it's really, but- yeah, the Amazon is just getting uh, just annihilated. So right now we're losing about 18.7 million acres of forest per year. The overall carbon emissions, about 15% per year is from deforestation. And wow. the Amazon specifically in the last 30 years, so about, you know, you were just a little toddler when uh, this stat was coming out, but they've lost about 20% of the size of Texas. Wow. Gone in wow. the Amazon. Yeah. And most yeah, of this is no. for for cattle ranching. 70% of that's for cattle ranching or growing soybeans. And now the big thing in Brazil is sugarcane that the Brazilian government has, has kind of uh, capped it or banned it from like new fields being planted. But there's okay. discussions right now of lifting those regulations so they can develop sugarcane for biofuels. Yeah. So again, mm-hmm. we can't win, right? No, no. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, but it's, 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 it's still a yeah, tough fight, right? It's it is. It lot. is. And, you know, we always talk about voting with our dollar and my conservation tip of the week. And I've been wanting to talk about this one for a while because it, has a huge effect on the rainforest and wherever you are, you know, if you can reduce your meat consumption, you can have an impact. It's one of the things, I mean, I love steak. I love, you know, getting 12 ounce steak. I, you know, (laughs) hopefully sharing it. That's a lot of meat. It is. It is back (laughs) in my football. When I played football, I could put away a 12 ounce steak. No problem. But I love ribeyes. I love, you know, uh, uh, bacon is wonderful, but you know, I really a couple of years ago started reducing meat consumption. I mean, not just for health reasons or and stuff like that, but just eating too much protein. You know, sure, just, you don't need that much protein, and and now right. with the handy dandy internet. Uh, for instance, I wanted to go meatless tonight. I try to do it a few mm-hmm. times a week with my family. Mm-hmm. There's so many easy, flavorful recipes that you can just find mm-hmm. online, and it's honestly right. cheaper if you don't buy a lot of meat. So, right. 
There's not it's, too many excuses to not. And I'm, I, of course I eat meat. You don't need 12 ounces of steak. No, no, no. It's funny. It's the, my rule of thumb is to eat protein. You know, if I eat any steaks or, or anything like that is about the size of my palm of mm-hmm. my hand. Or, and I have kind of big or hands. Or a deck of so. cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe but you should go, actually, you should go with a deck of cards, Chris. Yeah. A deck of cards. <laughs> but I went in the USDA and, and I'll put this link on the show notes. They actually have a good calculator on how much. How many grams of protein you need per day based on weight? So one of the things is you can multiply 0.36 by your weight to get how many grams you need. And for me, I weigh about 235, uh, roughly about that. So I need about 0.2 pounds of protein per day or only 3.2 ounces. So that's, that's not much at all. Steak. That's your no. deck of cards. That's your deck of cards. I know. It's tiny. And, and it doesn't have to all be animal protein. You know, there's no. also dairy protein. Of course. I love cheese, you know. I eat a lot of uh, yogurt beans. every morning. Mm-hmm. Beans. And your, Big fan. your favorite, your dissertation, your phytoestrogen <laughs> source, uh, your soybeans. Tons of wonderful yeah. soy and soy products out there. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So you're right. We just need to eat a more, more well-rounded diet, more legumes, veggies, and fruits. But that is a good way to vote with your dollar. And that kind of leads into when you save money. Mm-hmm. Not buying less meat. You can give it to organizations like. <laughs> Yay! My favorite time. Um, yeah. well, my number one organization this week is the Peregrine Fund and they do amazing work for birds of prey. Yeah. Uh, yes. I'm in love. I'm in love and we'll be interviewing some of their researchers to hopefully get that out to the public so you can hear right, about right. this, this group. They, the Peregrine Fund does amazing amounts of evidence-based scientific research on several populations of birds of prey to Mm -hmm. utilize science, which is my favorite, right? Utilize science to actually fight the good fight for these birds in the most accurate way possible, because you don't want to throw good money after bad. You don't want to just want to throw a whole bunch of money and say, Mm -hmm. Oh, do this and that'll help them. You need research to actually figure out how the animals behave and how they're moving and how they're nesting. And then you can use money smart to and and land smart and try to figure out all these complex issues that are way beyond me because I'm not a conservation mm-hmm. biologist by by trade. So the Peregrine Fund does that and check out their website. That's www.peregrinefund.org and that's P-E-R-E-G-R-I-N-E fund.org. And Chris will put it on the show notes. But regarding the Harpy Eagle. Uh, they have many programs to combine environmental education for locals and, and increase involvement, right? So they get the local communities involved in basic research and testing different hypotheses about their e- ecology and getting, just getting the locals excited about why they should conserve this animal. Their website's beautiful too. If you want to just look at beautiful pictures of birds of prey all day long and be stunned, yeah. <laughs> you can check them out. Yeah, they're really great. They're mm-hmm. really great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and they're on Facebook as well too. So I, if you like, yeah. if you like yeah. them, then you can follow, follow their updates, which is always really brings a smile to my face each morning when I'm uh, scrolling through my newsfeed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then second, Chris, I went a little bit differently. Um, since you and I a lot in this podcast today have been talking about uh, deforestation and uh, mm-hmm. fra- pop- fragmentation. So you can check out the World Land Trust at www.worldlandtrust.org. This organization works to protect some of the world's most biodiverse and threatened habitat acre by acre. 
So yeah. So what they do is they work with local NGOs to help provide finance and technical support to create and protect nature reserves. And they'll also restore degraded habitats to ensure that they're permanently protected. So they do all of this through local partners, which is key, right? So they don't have like, it's not like I, you or I go buy a chunk of land in Brazil and say like, oh, you can't do anything. Once the land has been acquired by the locals, the locals are trained to help preserve the land and how to do things like plant trees and mm-hmm. to assist in natural regeneration. So a cool thing too, if you check out their website or if you check them out on Facebook, you can buy a tree or gift a tree to, to, to different areas of land. And they're really big too on training the locals and working with education to reduce emissions. Like you talked about Mm -hmm. from, Mm -hmm. from deforestation and um, degradation. They also have something called the carbon balance program, which helps to reduce emissions and ward off climate change. And this group of course has partnered with, with, uh, Harpy Eagle Conservation Groups right. and everybody's kind of talking. And in this day and age, that's what we need. We need, we need lots of different players that, uh, not, not too many cooks in the kitchen, but just we need right. different groups coming at different angles and, and brilliant minds getting together and saying, Hey, let's do this. And, or this is what's worked and let's use science to figure this out and let's use law and, and the government. And so to, and, you know, and then there's people like you and I, they're like, Hey, let's get everybody yeah. excited about this. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. No, bravo to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just yeah, that's a cool one. I'm glad you found that. That is, yeah, it, it is complex. And again, it just it astounds me the amount of effort that around the world that some people are just doing some amazing work out there. Yeah, World Land you Trust know. guys, yeah. check them out. You won't. You definitely yeah. will. You, I mean, and their their uh, website is pretty pretty impressive too. Okay, uh, so from the beginning, we promised how powerful their talons are, their grip. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, so so strong as a Rottweiler. Oh like, my! Wow, wow, very oh my powerful. My. Yeah, very powerful. So this this week, if you could visit us at Patreon, Angie and I have a couple things cooking up, and thank you for a couple people out there, uh, uh, you know, that have started supporting us. That's really awesome. We love you. We love our listeners. Like it's just it's it's great. It's great uh, the interactions on Facebook, Twitter. So, you know, feel free to contact us. You know, we love hearing from you. We're, we're getting to you as fast as we can. Uh, it's awesome. You know, have some people give us some ideas on species that are coming up. Absolutely. That are on our Very radar. Exciting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But hey, great show. Like just Dr. Angie. Yeah. <laughs> can you tell? Like there's a big yes. difference now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what species are we covering again? <laughs> <laughs> I'll never live that down. Yeah, no, Which no, is no. fair. All right. That's fair. Well, thank you for joining us and listen for us. uh, Look for us for next week. All right. Thank you, everyone. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.